When the Seahawks and Jets meet up on Sunday in a Week 17 battle at Lumen Field, there's going to be plenty of star power at the receiver and cornerback positions. Rob Rang and I will be breaking down those matchups and much more on Matchup Wednesday here on the Locked on Seahawks podcast. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Joining me for our latest installment of Matchup Wednesday, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're overseas in Italy listening to the show or you're nearby in Renton. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Jam-packed Wednesday episode as always as we dive into the key matchups to watch. Seahawks and Jets, a playoff elimination game at Lumen Field in Week 17. You can't ask for much better than that. Which matchups should you be keeping an eye on when the Seahawks are on offense and defense? We'll dive into all of those in a loaded episode that is brought your way by Ultimate Football GM. Ever dreamed of becoming an NFL GM and managing your football franchise? Then this game is definitely for you. To download the game, just visit ultimate-gm.com or look it up on the App Store. Our listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo Locked On. That's in all caps in the game. Now for your lead story here on our Matchup Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. For it being late in the season, there's been a lot of roster shuffling for the Seahawks over the last 48 hours, and some of it good, some of it not so good. Rob, let's start with the worst news for the Seahawks, and I think this is a significant loss with two games left to play. We've talked so much about that three-headed tight end trifecta for the Seahawks. It is no more with two games left to play in the season. Will Disley heading to injured reserve at earliest, he could return in time for the NFC Championship game. If somehow the Seahawks sneak into the playoffs and advance that far, that would seem like a miracle. But he is heading to injured reserve, done for the rest of the regular season, and two playoff games minimum. And this is a substantial loss. Maybe not in a statistical standpoint, although he did have career highs in reception and receiving yards this year. His presence in the trenches as a pseudo-offensive lineman in the run game, not having him these last two games, that is a huge loss for the Seahawks offense. It's an absolute gut punch. I mean, that's the thing is that uh, Will Disley is one of the toughest guys on Seattle's roster. Um, there's a reason why Seattle paid as much as they did in free agency. I think that the fact that Will Disley goes down here with yet another injury that winds up becoming season ending is going to be a, a source of, of real criticism of John Schneider and Pete Carroll and the Seahawks and their decision to bring him back at that cost because, unfortunately, Will Disley has struggled with injury since he's come into the NFL. But at the same time, you can also understand why Seattle made the move that they did. Um, you know, Disley, as you said, I mean, he is basically an extra offensive lineman in the running game. He is not the most athletic guy. I mean, Noah Fant ran a lot better and tested a lot more impressively. Kobe Parkinson, um, in, at least in certain metrics as well. Um, but at the same time, Disley is the most dangerous of the three of them, if we're being real, after the catch, just because he runs with physicality and competitiveness. 
um, and, and doesn't rely on his, you know, stopwatch kind of speed and things of that nature. He's got really soft hands as the, uh, you know, kind of, kind of the legendary workout the University of Washington, um, you know, has, has told us in the past about how soft his hands was, John Schneider used to say. Uh, you know, that's the thing. It, it just really is an unfortunate injury. At the same time, uh, I think that the Seahawks are in good position to absorb it just because of the fact that they do have those other tight ends, as you mentioned in fan in parkinson um a significant loss but while seattle took definitely a shot with the loss of will disley possibly got really really good news with the the return of tyler lockett it sounds like yeah that's the most positive news coming out of wednesday's practice now we don't know if he participated in the actual practice or not that information is going to come out later today but Pete Carroll said during the walkthrough this morning that Tyler Lockett did everything, and that included catching passes pain-free. And Monday he was talking about that being the biggest obstacle. He was running while reporters were asking questions on Monday, and Pete Carroll said, yeah, this is fine and great, but you know he had surgery on his hand. And until they saw him catching passes, they weren't going to know whether he was going to have a chance to make it back. And ever since he injured his hand, broke a bone in that left hand against the 49ers, the Seahawks have been saying, hey, come back, and now suddenly what seemed unrealistic, I, at this point, I would be really surprised if Tyler Lockett is not out there wearing his number 16 and playing for the Seahawks with the playoffs on the line against the Jets. I'm anticipating he's going to be out there, and we know all the strengths that Tyler Lockett brings to the table, but I think what really is a game changer for them going into this game You cannot afford to go two for 14 on third down again. You have got to be much more efficient moving the chains. And I think that they're going to be able to do that much more effectively when they've got their reliable weapon in Tyler Lockett, who's so good at getting just past the marker, getting enough yardage to move the chains. And he is such a trusted asset for Geno Smith. He's looking for number 16 in those third down situations. Not having him in Kansas City, that was a major blow. And it was one of the reasons they struggled so much on third down getting him back out there in the lineup, even if he's not fully healthy, just 16 being out there as a decoy is going to make life easier for all of Seattle's other receivers, including DK Metcalf. So that's certainly good news. And going back to the Will Disley situation, if there's a silver lining here now, Jacob Hollister is not going to be mistaken as Will Disley. They are two totally different style tight ends. You're not going to be putting Hollister in there doing a lot of inline blocking. He has a very similar skill set to Colby Parkinson, if we're being honest more of a pass-catching, receiving tight end. But he knows Seattle really well. He caught 66 passes in his couple seasons with the Seahawks. He has proven to be a reliable target. And so I think there's a good chance with him now coming back to the practice squad today. He's a guy that you could probably elevate immediately on Sunday, and he could at least give you some snaps on offense. They also have Tyler Mabry, who has played extensive action at NFL games as well. So those two are obviously not Will Disley, but they do have some depth pieces there that have done some things in the NFL. So they should be okay, although they're certainly going to miss the blocking aspect of Will Disley. Having another athletic pass catcher like Hollister does give some options for the offense if he's elevated on game day the next two weeks. Yeah, I would agree with you in terms of um, the fact that Hollister and Disley are such different types of players. Um, and because, uh, you know, this is a different offense with Shane Waldron, of course, than 
what Hollister had started with in the past with Seattle. Um, I think it may take a little bit of, of time to make that adjustment. But that's why I think that they, they may wind up going with Tyler Mabry a little bit more. On, on a similar kind of note, Seattle made a change to the defensive tackle position, uh, waving Davion Nixon and claiming Isaiah Mack off of waivers from the Baltimore Ravens. I, I think that this was a, a wise move just because of the fact that Seattle has – and struggled to stop the run. And Mac is just a bigger, wider, broader man. He is able to hold up at the point of attack, more of a two-gap kind of a presence than what Nixon was, who was a little bit uh, reliant on his initial quickness, more of a penetrator. And that's not exactly what Seattle has been looking for. But still, I like the moves to just kind of reshuffle the cards, so to speak, um, on the defensive line. That, that really is what has been proven this year. has been the difference between the winning and losing clubs as much as it's been the quarterbacks it's been who has the more dominant front uh front four front three front seven whatever you want to call it front um in the nfl those are the teams that are consistently winning football games yeah and mac is going to at least give the seahawks some depth at the nose tackle position where he's played quite a few snaps davion nixon was not going to play that position i'll admit i'm a little disappointed that we don't get to see if nixon can kind of resurrect his career a little bit in seattle because i loved his tape at iowa but he doesn't fit that nose tackle position at all. And Max certainly does. In fact, he had a, that's, I believe he had a sack and a half for the Titans his rookie year a few years ago. So he can rush the passer a little bit, not the biggest nose tackle, but certainly can play that position. Al Woods did practice today or was expected to practice today. So that is good news on that front. Mac is just giving them insurance at this point, but if they can get big number 99 out there this weekend, that would be a huge boost for their run defense. So overall, it felt like a lot of musical chairs for the Seahawks on the regular roster, as well as the practice squad, some new faces, some old faces coming back for a second stint in Seattle, like Jacob Hollister, a lot of movement on the roster as they try to figure out how they can win these next two games and maybe get some momentum and get into the postseason. but they got to take care of their own business, maybe get a little bit of help as well. To get to the postseason, they're going to have to beat the Jets on Sunday, and there's a lot of enticing matchups on both sides of the ball between two teams that, despite playing in different conferences, they have quite a bit of familiarity just with coaches and players that previously were with the other organization. There's a lot of revenge games coming up on Sunday which matchup should you be watching when the Seahawks are on offense? We're going to get to those coming up next on our Matchup Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by Ultimate Football GM. Ever dreamed of becoming an NFL GM and managing your own football franchise? Well, your dream can come true, and this game is definitely for you. Manage every strategic aspect of your team. Play through the season and lead your team to glory. You're responsible for hiring the right coaches and coordinators, trading players, making draft picks, navigating your franchise through free agency in the draft, and all the ups and downs of a season. All this in a challenging, realistic game world. Ultimate Football GM is completely free and playable on or online or offline. Play on the go as you want and when you want to. I'm currently managing the Honolulu Sharks and working on conducting a youth movement since they took over a team full of players in their early to mid-30s. I'm hoping to quickly rise back to contention and beat all of the other locked-on hosts in our virtual league. It's an absolute blast, and our listeners should join in the fun with their own league. Locked On Seahawks listeners can get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo code LOCKEDON. That's in all caps in the game store. That's Locked On in all caps. So make sure to check it out today. To download the game, just visit ultimate-gm.com or look it up on the app store. That's ultimate-gm.com, ultimate football GM. Start your dynasty today. 
You're listening to Matchup Wednesday here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thank you to all the 12s out there during this holiday season for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And for your second listen, don't forget to check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast from the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports. Go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, it's available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, it's Matchup Wednesday, our favorite episode of the week. And there's just something fascinating about this matchup, Seahawks-Jets. And it's not just the fact that both teams are playing for their playoff lives. This is truly a winner-go-home type situation. It's an elimination game at Lumen Field. But the stakes have been raised because of the familiarity between these two teams, even though one is in the AFC East, one's in the NFC West. As we'll be talking about here over the next couple of segments, there's a lot of players that played for the other team. Geno Smith used to be with the Jets. Pete Carroll used to coach the Jets many, many years ago. And the Seahawks obviously have several players that have gone to the Jets in recent years. DJ Reed, Dwayne Brown, George Fant. So there's a lot of familiarity in this game. Let's get to the matchups. The Seahawks on offense going up against a top five scoring defense in the New York Jets. They're giving up less than 19 points per game. And Rob, I have a feeling I know exactly where you're going to go for the first matchup here. There's a very large centerpiece up front for this defense that really makes it go. Yeah, big Quinton Williams. I mean, he is absolutely a monster in the middle, quite literally and figuratively for the Jets. He's the he's the kind of difference-making defensive lineman that frankly the Seahawks have lacked for a long time. And and one of the players, he's similar to Jalen Carter, who I think that Seattle might be uh, really would love to be in position to select him. That's who I have them actually taking in, the, in my uh, latest mock draft. Quinn Williams is a guy that, you know, I, I just remember watching, University of Alabama, and of course it's Alabama. They're loaded with players, and and just hearing about this sophomore, this redshirt sophomore who was the best of the bunch, and I'm I being kind of skeptical about that. Turning on the tape and then just watching Q, as they called him, just absolutely wreak havoc as a redshirt sophomore, uh, you know, on the most gifted team in all of the country, and and so to me, he is just translated that type of physical dominance into the NFL. It's taken a couple of years for him be that the monster that he has become but he is absolutely spectacular 12 sacks so far this season um you know we've talked all year long corbin about the seattle struggles in the interior or trying to block big talented defensive tackles this might be the most fearsome of the entire league yeah that's the crazy thing you just dealt with chris jones who i've talked about it i think chris jones is right there with aaron donald with your two most disruptive game-changing defensive tackles but Quinnen Williams this year has taken that massive step to enter that discussion with 12 sacks 12 tackles for loss he has become the game record the Jets always thought he was going to be when they drafted him early in the first round out of Alabama he's got great athleticism he is physical he can maul people he, he is a complete package at defensive tackle and that is always worrisome when you're considering Seattle's interior offensive line struggles I was looking at, at this today. Phil Haynes and Gabe Jackson, the two players that have been rotating at right guard, they are both lower than 65th among qualified guards for the Seahawks. They are both below 65th in pass protection efficiency. That is dreadful. We're talking out of less than 100 players. They are in the bottom half 
in qualified guards. And now they've got to deal with Quinn and Williams, who has a chance to blow up Seattle's game plan. And so this is first and foremost something the Seahawks absolutely have to take care of. They have got to find a way as an offense, as an offensive line, to keep Quinn and Williams from single-handedly destroying everything that they plan to do in this football game. He has done that a couple times for the Jets this year as the leader up front. He's that talented of a player. Can the interior offensive line elevate their game enough? that Geno Smith's going to have time to throw the football. And if he does have time to throw the football, that leads to our next matchup. And this is going to be a fun one. We talked about Sauce Gardner yesterday going up against Tariq Woolen, your two favorites for the defensive rookie of the year. And Gardner has been fantastic. 12 pass breakups, second in the NFL, only two interceptions, but he has been a shutdown corner, 43% completion rate against him, a passer rating barely hovering above 50. He's in the top three among corners in the league in both those categories, but he's going to get to face a receiver that has the physical skills to match up with him in DK Metcalf, who's over the 1,000-yard mark now for the second time in three years. And as I mentioned, Number 16, Tyler Lockett has a chance to come back. And, oh, by the way, the other corner, a very familiar face for Seahawks fans, DJ Reed, he's been overshadowed by Sauce Gardner this year, but we know how physical of a corner he is. Despite being a smaller player, he plays much bigger than that. He has been dominant this season at the other corner position. So the Jets have everything working for them. They've got the pass rush up front. They've got the dominant superstars in the trenches. They've also got two very good corners that have much different size and skill sets, but they both are very effective. So this is really best versus best. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, two of the best receivers in the NFL going up against DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner, one of the best corner tandems in the NFL. This is one of those get-your-popcorn-ready matchups, and you're just hoping Geno Smith has enough time that he can get the football to those receivers and test those corners in what should be the matchup of this game. Yeah, I think that's very well said. Uh, you know, I, I think that the the trying to slow down Quinn and Williams has to be priority number one. Um, it, it's what is going to de- like very likely determine who wins this game is whether or not Seattle can slow him down. But in terms of the most entertaining matchups, then there's no question about it. Um, Seattle's wide receivers, especially if Tyler Lockett is able to play um, against the Jets cornerbacks, really should be fun. Uh, you know, I, I think, and, and I mean this with all due respect to Tariq Woolen, I think in a lot of voters' minds, when it comes to defensive rookie of the year, how uh, how Sauce Gardner is able to perform, especially against DK Metcalf, I think it's going to wind up having an awful lot of power um, when it comes to the voters. Just because you're talking about a receiver as big and strong and and famous, um, you know, as, as DK Metcalf going up against. Sauce Gardner, who has who has great height, but at the same time has a much more narrow type of a frame. If he can handle big bully that is DK Metcalf, as well as occasionally go down and try and cover Tyler Lockett as quick as he is, or Marquise Goodwin as fast as he is, the former Olympian. I think this is the kind of game that that again, to, uh, uh, Sauce Gardner might be able to kind of make his claim for defensive rookie of the year honors. At the same time, just given the competitiveness that we've seen from the Seahawks in the past, including at the wide receiver position with Lockett attempting at least to play in this game, and DK Metcalf just seems like he rises to the occasion every time that there is a physical confrontational kind of a moment. I think the Seattle might be able to take advantage of their young rookies kind of bravado. Um, and I certainly don't think that they want to mess with, mess with DJ too much on the other side. So to me, that's what's going to make this a fascinating matchup. I could see this being one of those defensive struggles where one big play 
is going to completely change the game. And I have a great deal of confidence in Geno Smith and Seattle's wide receivers to be able to make that play. If you want to be able to set up that passing game, you got to be able to figure out how you can bottle up the run game from the second half on Saturday and carry it over to this game. Because this Jets team, they can get after the quarterback. It's not just Quinn and Williams. They've got other players they can get after the QB, and they do it without blitzing. They have the lowest blitzing rate in the entire NFL. Robert Sala, he is sending four regularly. That is that is not their game to send five, six, seven rushers after the quarterback. He doesn't need to because his front four is effective at getting pressure on a consistent basis. And so to slow that defensive line down and maybe open up some play-action opportunities – you're going to have to find a way to bottle up that run game that you had in Kansas City. So I'm looking at Ken Walker the third against this Jets linebacking core. C.J. Mosley in particular getting mobile. The numbers one, two tackles, an interception, four tackles for loss as well. Even at 30 years old, is still a pretty darn good athlete at the linebacker position. He's had a nice resurrection season after battling some injuries early in his tenure with the Jets, came over from the Ravens as a free agent. They need Ken Walker the third to run with the decisiveness that we saw in the second half. And I was really encouraged by what I saw. He wasn't sitting back waiting for that crease to open up. He wasn't trying to make something out of nothing when it wasn't there. He was getting his foot in the turf. He was getting downfield. He was picking up yards. And that's why he had almost 80 rushing yards in the second half against the Chiefs. It's going to be a lot tougher against this Jets defense, which all in all, is a much better defense than what the Chiefs have overall. They're in the top five in scoring defense for a reason. They're near the bottom of the league in rushing yards allowed. They are stout against the run. But if you are going to beat a team like this or like the 49ers, you have to be able to have a semblance of a run game to take some pressure off of Geno Smith. And so I think this is a crucial matchup that maybe isn't going to get talked about a lot, but the Seahawks have to be able to run the ball with effectiveness, maybe not as effective as they did against Kansas City in the second half, but there's got to be a run game that's giving you positive plays and early downs to put you in better situations on third down and have some prolonged drives and try to wear down this defense. Yeah, I think that that is absolutely critical. If Seattle is going to win this football game, that they create some type of, of a running game. We've talked about that a lot in the past. I, I think that similar to how we how you mentioned the fact that you know Geno Smith is a former Jet, Pete Carroll is a former Jet coach, and it's personal. And I think that you have to try to make this game, if it's not already, make it known to Kenneth Walker III that this is personal too. You're talking about the New York Jets, the only team that selected a running back before you in the last draft with, with Brees Hall, who was a terrific football player. But Ken Walker, I mean, talk about lighting a, a match under a guy as far as motivation. Um, I, I think that this is absolutely a critical matchup for the Seahawks. I think that Ken Walker has the ability to absolutely take this game over for the Seahawks, even though, as you said, Corbin, I think that this is a defensive front for the Jets that is more than capable of doing basically what every other team has done over the last month and a half. And that's just shutting down Seattle at the point of attack. And so to me, this is really a, a way in which the, the game is going to be won and lost. Again, I think a big part of that is going to be slowing down Quinn Williams, we talked about in the about what C.J. Mosley is going to be bringing because he's just a different level of physicality. And then Quan Alexander, all of his time previously in San Francisco, he knows Seattle and what they'd like to do. I think throwing the ball to the tight ends is also important, but I think the backs in particular are going to be very important for if Seattle is going to be able to get this victory. 
The Jets are in the bottom 10 in the league for allowing receptions and receiving yards to tight ends. They have only given up two touchdowns, though, and that is a constant for this defense. They just don't give up a lot of points. They're very good in the red zone, and so having a run game to complement your your passing game is going to be pivotal for this one. We're going to switch gears now going into our next segment, the Seahawks on defense going up against the Jets offense that will be happily welcoming back Mike White under center. They're hoping to get their offense charged up after several struggles with Zach Wilson under center. We'll look at those three key matchups coming up next year on our Matchup Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is releasing a slate of new football podcasts we're sure you're going to love. That's why you'll be able to find an episode from the league available as a bonus episode on Locked On NFL, narrated by Super Bowl champion and former Seahawks star Richard Sherman and sports broadcaster and rising star Taylor Rooks. The league is an eight-part docuseries about the most bizarre, inspirational, and unlikely stories connected to America's favorite sport, pro football. You won't want to miss these untold stories spanning from the 1940s through the present Our bonus episode is called The We of the Cowboy and is an incredible story about the 1977 Dallas Cowboys brought in Bruce Lee's protege to teach their defense, martial arts, ushering in a new approach to the way the league is trained. Each story offers equal parts history, entertainment, and social commentary. So head on over to Locked on NFL for a bonus episode of the league or catch the full series wherever you get your podcast. It's available now on Audible. Audible, get in the game. You're listening to the Matchup Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by my co-host in crime, Rod Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there, regardless where you're listening from, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We've got a pivotal playoff elimination game coming up at Lumen Field on Sunday. The 7-8 and eight Seahawks, the 7-8 and eight Jets, both teams looking to get back to 500 and keep their slim playoff hopes alive. For the Seahawks to get that done, they're going to have to turn in another stellar defensive performance. They held up pretty well against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, and the Jets are not going to be mistaken for the Chiefs. They are one of the bottom scoring teams in the NFL. They've had major issues at the quarterback position, but the one player they have rallied around has been Mike White. And he has been cleared to play in this game. So they're going to have the quarterback that seems to have bought the locker room's trust and respect. He is going to be back under center. And this is a Jets team that even though they have had issues scoring points, Rob, there is a lot of talent on this roster, particularly at the receiver position where they've invested a lot of money and draft capital in a really explosive athletic core of receivers. Yeah, this is going to be a really fun matchup in a lot of different ways. Um, I, I think that we, it's easy to kind of focus in on, um, you know, the top cornerbacks and, and receiver matchups just because, as we talked about previously, with uh, the Sauce Gardner on the other opposite side against DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, then, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of comparisons. And I think that it's going to extend more than just Tariq Woolen on the outside and in the former, in the first round pick, Garrett Wilson for the Jets. It could go inside to that, that nickel um, and and slot receiver matchup, Elijah Moore, Kobe Bryant, I think it's going to be a critical one. But I, I'm going to focus in here for just a moment on the quarterback, Mike White, Corbin. I, I just think that this is a, a really interesting quarterback. Um, I, I remember evaluating him at Western Kentucky. He started his career at South Florida. He didn't play football. He focused on baseball all throughout his middle school and high school life. Didn't become the starting quarterback in, Flor- in the high school in, in Florida until his senior year 
but it was an incredible senior year. Led him to the, the state title. Um, he was Mr. Florida by in some respects. Wound up going to um, to South Florida, and then eventually again went to the the Hilltoppers in Western Kentucky. Um, and he is a guy that is a, a dynamic athlete, as I mentioned before, with the the baseball uh, you know aspect of. It. I mean he turned down opportunities in the NFL um, and in, in what he's done, excuse me, turned down opportunities in major league baseball to pursue his chances in the NFL. You, you see the accuracy, you see the arm strength, you see the athleticism, you, you see the leadership, um, and in mind for football, he went through four different offensive coordinators during his college days. So th- this is a kid who is everything that you're looking for in a backup quarterback. The Jets are going to be motivated, and they also have a pretty solid underrated type player, I think, in Mike White. So, again, I think this is a game that those lot of Seahawks fans out there who are like just like shine this game. Like, oh, this is a victory. This is a get well game. I disagree. I think that Mike White is the most competitive of the Jets quarterbacks, and he's going to get Give the Seahawks a punch in the jaw. They're going to better be ready to absorb. And as I mentioned, the entire locker room has rallied around him. And yeah. all the hits he took in that game against the Bills where he ended up suffering an injury that the doctors wouldn't clear him the last two weeks because of it. But he went out there and just kept taking hit after hit after hit. And his teammates have the utmost respect for him for that. And you look at the receivers. You mentioned Elijah Moore. He's had a very disappointing second season. In fact, he was demanding a trade at one point earlier this season. But he has played much better in the games that Mike White has been playing quarterback than Zach Wilson or Joe Flacco. And really the receiving core as a whole, Garrett Wilson, their standout rookie out of Ohio State, has had some big games with Mike White playing the quarterback position as well. Their offense just seems like it's far more complete with White under center, even though he doesn't have the gaudiest of numbers, not a superstar by any means. Even though he's got the baseball background, not a guy that's going to run around a lot, not known for leaving the pocket. That's not necessarily his game. But he has been a galvanizing presence for this Jets offense. So I do think that it's noteworthy to mention him. We're talking about these receivers going up against Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant and Mike Jackson. There's a lot of athleticism and a lot of talent in that receiving core. And if Mike White has time to throw the football, then he's going to be able to get it to those playmakers. And the Jets offense can be much better than what their statistics showcase. And that leads me to the next topic here. You got to be able to get after Mike White. And interestingly enough, the Seahawks are going to be seeing some old friends at the tackle positions, Dwayne Brown and George Fant. Fant had to move from left tackle to right tackle with Brown coming in late. Mackie Becton lost for the season, their former first-round pick as well. So they've had to do some mixing and matching at that position, but they got two players that were pretty solid starters for the Seattle Seahawks. We know what Dwayne Brown did. George Fant was a solid reserve for the Seahawks and started some games for him at the tackle position as well. If you are going to turn up the heat on this Jets offense, Rob, you have got to find a way. And I just mentioned this, you know, from an athleticism standpoint, Mike White is not a guy that's going to be Kyler Murray or prime Russell Wilson or Lamar Jackson. He's not one of those style quarterbacks. He's not going to be running all over the place. He is a pocket passer and the bills were able to get after him. They were able to lay the wood, some big hits on him and ended up injuring him in that game. This has been a Jets offensive line that has had its share of struggles this year with the injuries and putting players in that haven't had a lot of starts in the offense, you name it. It has been a struggle protecting the quarterback. And so if you can get to Mike White, I'm looking at Boy Mafe. Pete Carroll says he needs more playing time. Absolutely he does. So actually do it. Don't just say it. Put him in the lineup more. 
and he maybe should start this football game. Daryl Taylor, we've seen more flashes from him. He's playing better as of late. Uchenna Nwosu continuing to play well. They need those edge rushers to take advantage of the tackles. George Fant has not had a great year at right tackle, adjusting to that position. He was pretty good at left tackle last year for the Jets. Has not played as well at right tackle. Dwayne Brown's 37, and even though he's only given up one sack, there have been some issues at times in the run blocking department. He's not the same player he used to be. These edge rushers need to step up their game and they need to get after Mike White because if he's not a mobile quarterback, which he certainly isn't, there's going to be opportunities that you can hit him in the pocket and he might uncork some bad throws. He had a four interception game last year, so he is capable of having games where he gets contagious turnover symptoms and he throws a lot of interceptions. you got to get after him with your pass rush to do it, though, and I think from the outside is where you get that pass rush in this particular game against this opponent. I 100% agree with you. I think that you know, Seahawks fans don't have to think too far back to remember when Dwayne Brown was struggling with some false starts. Uh, George Fan, of course, struggled at, at times as well in the Seahawks uniform. Um, and so bring the noise um, and, and see it, how well that those two players are able um, you know, to adjust to play on the other side of, of the lines um, when it comes to, to Lumen Field. Um, I think that Seattle's pass rushers, this is that proverbial get Quit, get better game um, just because uh, I think that the Jets obviously again a very inexperienced quarterback one that is not likely to be able to dance his way out of pressure um, and, and so yeah I, I think that this is a chance for whether it be Daryl Taylor or Boye Mafe, uh, Bruce Irvin I mean whoever the case might be I, I think you mentioned the four interception game that Mike White had before I think a four sack game is what the Seahawks need to be able to win this game. I really think that they have got to be able to kind of rattle the Jets offense and be able to uh, give Geno Smith the better um, and, and more reliable, more consistent quarterback, give him the opportunity to win it in the fourth quarter. Again, that number four. Yeah, and I think looking at the last matchup in this game, we've talked about in the trenches with the edge rushers. We've talked about the receivers. But this is the Seattle Seahawks in 2022 that we're talking about. And <laughs> it has not mattered what team they've been playing. Now, I will say this. The run defense has been better the last two games. I thought they held up fairly well against the 49ers, a lot better than anybody anticipated. And this Chiefs game on Saturday, they stepped up in the second part of the game. In the second half in particular, they were able to get some really nice stops in the run game. Boy, Mafe with a tackle for loss. They had a couple other plays in the backfield. They're going to have to be able to do that in this game because you know the Jets with their quarterback situation. Mike White is not a guy that you're going to drop back 50 times and throw the football. They are going to try to get their running game going. They don't have Brees Hall, who's done for the season. Zonovan Knight, another rookie that they got out of North Carolina State, an undrafted player, he's kind of taken over as their de facto number one back. And even though his numbers aren't overly splashy, 65 rushes, 251 yards, under four yards per carry, just one touchdown, this is a player that has made some big plays in recent games, and he seems to be earning the trust of the coaching staff. And again, this Seahawks defense, every time you think they've got the run defense figured out, then they have a really bad game. You're hoping that does not happen against this just offense that has struggled to run the football as of late. Again, there have been teams earlier this year that were struggling to run the ball, and then suddenly they looked like the number one rushing offense in the league because of the Seahawks defense being across from them. That can't yeah. happen in this football game. You have got to shut down the run. Force Mike White to beat you. If you make the Jets one-dimensional throwing the football, even though he has been better than the other quarterbacks, 
he is still going to be vulnerable to the pressure. The offensive line is not great in pass protection. You make him one-dimensional, you really set yourself up for success. If Zonovan Knight is able to get some nice runs on the ground going, they're able to have some long, sustained drives, and they can get physical with the Seahawks' defense, as many teams have successfully done this year. If that happens then things are going to lean towards some of the games we've seen from the Seahawks recently where things can get away from them. So run defense is critical, whether it's Zonovan Knight, Michael Carter is another running back they have that gets quite a few touches as well. You know the Jets are going to come on the road and they're going to try to establish their running game this season that has to be looking at the games. Yeah, Carter is the more dynamic of of the two. Uh, Knight, as you said, is kind of the de facto number one guy right now. He's kind of the downhill runner. But I, I think that Seattle's linebackers can't get too caught up in just trying to slow down the running game, um, whether it be the linebackers or whether it be the safety. Whoever is going to be starting with Quandre Diggs. Ryan Neal is a possibility to return. We've seen T's Tabor and Jonathan Abram, that strong safety position. But I mentioned it before, uh, Tyler Conklin, the tight end, he is number two on the Jets in catches, receiving yards, and touchdowns. He is not as likely to be a big part of the offense with Mike White, who's a little bit more used to spread offenses um, than, than hitting the tight end. But still, I really think that going back to history, as you said, Corbin, and I think very accurately with how Seattle struggled against the run this year, they've struggled against the tight end for seemingly forever. And so I do think that that is definitely a matchup uh, that bears a lot of watching as well. And Conklin has had some decent games against the Seahawks in the past when he played for the Vikings. In fact, I believe it was last year in Minnesota that he had some big plays in that victory that the Vikings had at home against the Seahawks defense. So Conklin has got a history against the Seahawks. Certainly anytime the Seahawks are on the field, you got to worry about the tight ends because it's been a problem. They did have some success last week, moderate success against Travis Kelsey until he broke loose for a 52-yarder late last week. If they can keep Conklin bottled up, that'll be a good situation for the Seahawks defensively in this game. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all the major platforms. We're also available five days a week streaming video form on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, John Butchko and I will be doing a Locked on crossover special Seahawks Jets. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Go Hawks.